today we're going to continue uh, our journey through the book of John, looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Again, if you're just joining us for this series, the last couple of weeks, we've, we've gone through the book of John and we've looked at those different things that Jesus has said that he is. In other words, if Jesus were to have a Facebook profile, if you will, these are the things he would put in the bio, right? And we've seen that Jesus is the bread of life. From John chapter 6, we see that Jesus is the light of the world in John chapter 8. This week, we turn our attention to John chapter 10, and this is what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 10, verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher who said this, Christ tells us that the only way to enter the church is through himself. He is the door, the only door. There is no other mode of admission into his church but through himself. Now, this is a truth that is in sharp contrast to what the world would want you to believe. We see on all different sorts of fronts that the world is teaching that there's many ways to get to heaven. There's numerous roads to get to God. You just choose the one that works best for you. And in this world of tolerance in which we live, you just go that way. And it's all going to pan out in the end. And you don't have to worry about it. There's even a lot of Christians who might even uh, have adopted this philosophy that says, you know, uh, one religion is just as good as the next, and any path will get you there, right? Christians are believing that. Well, I just want to say this morning, if you're, if you're a Christian and you believe that, then you're not reading your Bible because Jesus very clearly says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate. I am the door. Some people think it doesn't matter if you're Hindu. It doesn't matter if you're Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're Christian. You can be nothing. And you can still get there. In fact, there's this movement now in an effort to probably, my opinion, an effort to try to, uh, I guess, maybe be a more peaceful society where we're even, even meshing religions together. There's a movement now called Chrislam where we take a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of Islam and let's just mesh it all together. And some of our worldly, some of our Christian leaders are starting to buy into some of this sort of thing. There's also some Christians who believe that if you just are good enough, if you just do enough good things, as Spencer was talking about uh, in his uh, communion prayer, if we just do enough good things, if we're good enough, if we give enough, if we show up to enough things, if we volunteer at events, if we work in pediatric purgatory, that's a.k.a. the nursery, if we work there, then, then everything is good. Right? And, and if we do enough of these good things, then God is going to look at us at the end of our life and he's going to say, okay, you've done enough good things, come on in. But the Bible teaches a very different way than that. Jesus himself says something very different from that. Right? We know in scripture, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we're saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not anything that we do ourselves. It's not of our own efforts it's only by the, the, the grace of God, it's only by faith in Him can we be saved, and that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you this morning, you said, oh, all right, preach it, brother. I love to hear that. Now, for some of the rest of you, that might be a little bit difficult for you to swallow. And, and wherever you find yourself today, I want you to just kind of, would you just agree with me during our time to open your hearts, open your minds, 
listen to what God might be trying to say through his word this morning in this passage of scripture, the lessons that we can draw from what Jesus said a couple of thousand years ago that I believe still apply to us today. And remember, when I say faith, it isn't just about believing in God. It's about believing that that he's going to fulfill his promises to us, right? It's not just a one-time thing. It's, it's an ongoing thing. Again, in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, plain and simple. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. And so the very first thing I think that Jesus is saying to us in this I am statement is, is uh, he's offering us an invitation. This is an invitation that's powerful. It's a message that's, that's uh, exclusive, and a lot of people don't like that, but it, but it speaks volumes about the nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an open invitation to anyone. And this invitation is not restricted by race. It's not restricted by social status. It's not restricted by the sins that we've committed in the past. It's a call from Jesus to anyone who just says, all right, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. It's an invitation to just step through the gate, to step through the door that he's offering as a way of salvation. And this metaphor of Jesus as a gate, or as some translations, like I said, say the door, it's deeply symbolic. Because what do doors do? Right? Doors serve as entry points. It's a gateway for us to get from one place to another. In this context, Jesus is saying, listen to me, church, I am the door. I'm the door that leads you from a life of sin to a life that is uh, abundant. I am the door that leads you from a life of separation from God. I'm the door that leads you from the pathway to hell to an eternity in heaven and in an abundant life here on this earth. In this context, Jesus is the door that leads us to all of the reasons he came here in the first place. And this is a promise that is given to us if we accept this invitation from God. However, the invitation from Jesus is not just about the promise of salvation. It's also this promise to a new way of life. It's this promise to leave your old life behind and start this new life with him. A life that is marked by faith. A, mar- a life that is marked by love in this world where love is being drowned by hate, our life in Christ should reflect the love of Jesus and our life in Christ should reflect the service that we should have toward one another and toward those who might not even care about Jesus all that much. And he says, I want you, church, to partake in this mission with me. I want you to be with me and spread the good news of his love and mercy everywhere that you go to all corners of the earth. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? He said this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's truth. 
We are sitting here today in this congregation worshiping him today as beneficiaries of those who believed that message 2,000 years ago who said, yeah, I'm going to go into my Jerusalem. I'm going to go into my Judea. I'm going to go into my Samaria and I'm going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you stopped and thought about, all right, who's going to be here decades from now when I'm long gone? Right? Who am I going to share this message with that Jesus is the way? Those same marching orders that he gave those disciples 2,000 years ago, he's given to us today. He invites us to be his hands, to be his feet in this world that so desperately needs hope. And peace, love. He's asking us to serve not only just our brothers and sisters here in this place, but those who are outside of this place that don't know him yet. And in addition to that, it's an invitation to a personal and intimate relationship with him. It's an invitation to know him. It's, it's not an invitation to just learn a bunch of stuff about him. It's an invitation to get to know him, Right? To love him, to follow him every day of our lives. It's an invitation to, to welcome his presence into our lives, to hear his voice that can silence our, our tumultuous hearts sometimes and our souls that are just torn up by the things of this world. It's an invitation to experience his love and his peace, to grow in our faith, to deepen in our relationship with him and with other people. It's an invitation to draw closer to the creator of the universe. I don't know about you. I'm one of those guys that I, I can kind of come across as a little bit nerdish sometimes. I know that's shocking to some of you. And, and, and so I come across nerdish when I meet somebody who's like famous or who's popular, right? And I like to try to like shake their hand or talk to them or something like that. In fact, I ran into uh, this past week down at Spire Conference. I ran into, some of you guys won't know this name, but some of you are Kyle Eidelman. I ran into Kyle Eidelman at Spire and actually had an opportunity. Kyle is a preacher. He's written several books. He's at church down at Southeast. He runs over 20,000 plus. He's kind of one of those celebrity preachers and and I reach out my hand to shake his hand and talk to him and I felt like I was about three right I mean I just couldn't even like, like you know and it just kind of nerdy just and this is a human being this is just some preacher at a church God is giving us the opportunity to enter into not just meet not just on a surface level but giving us the invitation to get to know the creator of everything that exists. And he says, Jesus is the doorway to do that. And he said, I will not only give you eternal life, but I will lead you to green pastures. These pastures don't always come easy. Sometimes these pastures are difficult to get to. Sometimes they're challenging. Sometimes it causes us to leave a certain way of living and a certain way of thinking in order to follow him. And so we have to sometimes let our old ways go. And we, we have to turn away from maybe some things that we like to do, some things that the Bible calls sin, and embrace this, this lifestyle, this attitude, this striving for holiness. And it's challenging sometimes for us to rely on his grace, isn't it? It's challenging sometimes for us to surrender our will to his will, to remain steadfast in hope. And to endure in love, even in the face of trials and tribulations. It's, it's tough. 
Because when those trials come, when those difficult times come, sometimes our natural reaction is to just turn the other way. Instead of turning to Jesus, we turn to other things. And so the Bible is saying, listen, I am, through Jesus, you have an invitation to basically have a new life, to die to yourself, to get rid of the old self and, and live a new way. I heard a story of a preacher who was trying to teach a children's class, time, uh, class one time about how to be saved. And he said, if I sold everything that I had and gave it to the church, would I go to heaven? And the children, all they knew what the preacher was doing, right? And so they answered, no, 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 no. And the preacher said, very good, that's right, that's right. And if I worked hard at keeping all the Ten Commandments, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids, you know, some of them are starting to pick up on it even more. Now. They go, no, no, no. The preacher said, yeah, very good, that's right. And if I faithfully go to church the rest of my life, is that going to get me into heaven? And they're all, no, it's not going to. And the preacher said, very good. If I repented of my sins and believed Jesus died for my sins and asked him to save me and was baptized into him, would I go to heaven? And the kids all went, no. And he was disappointed in that. And he said, what do you mean? He goes, what do I have to do then? And one kid said, you got to die. <laughs> right? You can't get to heaven without being dead. And that silly story carries a lot of truth and it hits the nail on the head. We can't enter into this relationship with Christ until we die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. Do you, does anybody here old enough to remember songs from the 70s? Okay, four or five of you. Uh, I do. I remember a song by Loretta Lynn, all right? You probably never thought you'd hear a Loretta Lynn reference in a sermon. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Does anybody remember that song, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. In other words, we want the benefits. I know, this isn't what they were getting at with the song, but when I hit, think about this song, this is what it's, it's saying. I want the benefits of heaven, I want all that comes with knowing that, that I'm going to have life in heaven forever. But don't ask me to do anything down here that's too hard. You got to get to the point in your life where you say, I am done living for myself. You've got to get to the point in your life where you understand there's no way that you can get yourself into heaven. And the only way that you can get there is through the gate. Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're anything like I was when I was younger, but I played the game. Can anybody relate to that? I played the, the, uh, the game that went something like this. I learned all the Christianese language, right? I could talk a good game. I could say all of the right things. I even went to church most of the time. That is, if I didn't have a softball tournament or a bowling tournament that came first. Or something that was a little more appealing to me. Or if something came up on a Saturday night that, that I wanted to stay out late for, that no big deal. I'd just do it. And church wasn't all that important to me. 
instead of worshiping the one who died for me. I put so many stupid things in front of that. And I thought I was good. And you know why I thought I was good? Because everybody around me was telling me how good I was. Oh, he's such a good young man. He's clean-cut young man. We see him at church. He dresses nice. He even gets up and sings every once in a while. What they didn't see was I did what I wanted when I wanted, and if God could be in that some way, if he could work into my schedule, then I was okay with it. I gave my life to Christ and was baptized when I was 12 years old, but that living between 12 and 21, most of it was done for myself. I wasn't a bad guy. I wasn't good either, because there's no one good. The Bible says no one's good except Jesus. No one's righteous but Him. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke. I didn't run around, but I wasn't really close to Jesus either. And it was only when I completely surrendered my will to His call for my life did things start to snap into focus. That's when faith became very real to me. That's, be, that's when faith became a very important thing for me. So if you have entered through the gate, if you've confessed Jesus as the Christ, you've repented of your sins, and you've been baptized into him, understand that faith is the necessary response to this invitation that Jesus is offering. And, and what I mean by that is faith is the RSVP. Right, Jesus is, is inviting you into this life, not just eternal life, but a life that is more abundant. Faith is the cornerstone. It's not just this acceptance that Jesus is who he said he was, even though that's a part of it. But it's a complete trust. It's a complete confidence in his promises. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just something that you did a long time ago when you became a Christian. Yeah, I got faith in Jesus. And so you made that decision and then you just started living your life. Faith is a daily following of Jesus Christ. Do you believe the promises that Jesus has given to us? Not just about eternity, but about everyday life as well. Faith is the assurance that God is going to deliver on all of the promises that he's made to us. And this is the kind of faith that I think Jesus is inviting us to in this passage of John 10, 9. Faith is necessary for salvation, for sure. Jesus himself said, if anyone enters this way, he'll be saved. Jesus is saying, basically, that it's not possible to be saved any other way. It's through faith that we accept Jesus Again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by faith through grace, or by grace through faith, you've been saved. It's the gift of God, not by works. It's necessary, right? But how many of us have viewed our decision, how many of us have viewed our baptism as the end? I made that decision. I'm good to go. Until Jesus calls me home. That's just the beginning. Right? When was the last time you really opened yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit will teach us. The Holy Spirit will empower us to live according to God's will. To stop living for ourselves. And as we grow in our faith, 
We become more like Christ in our thoughts and in our words and in our actions. Daily faith is absolutely essential to overcoming the obstacles that the world is throwing at us in our everyday lives. If we have a relationship with Jesus and His Holy Spirit dwells in our lives, then we're able to face these challenges with hope and with courage and with peace. Faith gives us that assurance that God's with us in each and every situation. Listen to what Mary, the mother of Jesus, says in Luke 137. She said, nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that this morning? I have a couple of you do? Okay, that's good. That's good. I know you all do. I caught you off guard there a little bit. Nothing is impossible. Augustine of Hippo said this, faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. And I think this beautifully captures the essence of what faith is. It calls to the forefront of our minds the promises of God, even when the situations and the circumstances in this world might dictate otherwise. And so the reward of that type of faith is the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives. By faith, we believe that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And He's the pathway through which eternal salvation is possible. Because if we accept this invitation, He promises us salvation. He promises it. It's not a hope so. If you believe what Jesus has done for you and you've confessed Him as your Lord and your Savior, and you've repented of your sins, and, and you've been baptized into Him, Jesus said, you're mine. And I'm going to mark you with my Holy Spirit. He's essentially offering a promise of salvation to anyone who believes. And then He says this, He takes it a step further. He says, but also you will have this abundant and fulfilled Life. He said, I have come so that you may have life to the fullest. And if you're a Christian today and you're walking around, you're like, oh, bother. I call them Eeyore Christians. I've mentioned this before. You just walk around and I hope something good happens today. Do you know somebody like that? Are you somebody like that? I think that's a black eye. In the face of God, to see a joyless, oh, mother, kind of Christian. Because Jesus said, I've come not to just give you eternal life, but so that you can have a life here in this world that is beyond anything else you can experience. That's what the whole leading to green pastures is about, right? Where, they can, where, where the sheep can feed and where the sheep can rest. And Jesus, our good shepherd, leads us to spiritual nourishment, to spiritual rest. He guides us in our decisions. He protects us from, from harm in our lives, from spiritual harm. I remember when I was in Bible college, I wrote a, a sermon on this passage of Scripture for my advanced preaching class. And I knew that my preaching professor loved alliterations, right? And so I wanted to come up with a three-point sermon that would have an alliteration. And I can't remember a single thing from that sermon, 
except these three points. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the guard. Jesus is the guide. Again, I can't tell you a single thing that I wrote from that sermon, but I came up with those. I was pretty impressed with myself, to be honest. And, 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 the, and the preaching professor liked my alliteration. I don't think the rest of the sermon was all that great, but this was pretty solid. And I encourage you to remember them as well. He's the gate, the only way to enter into this relationship. He's the guard that keeps us from spiritual harm if we are in Christ Jesus and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and He is the guide who leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. In John 10.10, we're told the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf come and he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and, he's, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock and the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. And so Jesus wraps this little portion up by saying, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. That's what he did at Calvary. He laid down his life for all of us who would be his sheep. And this isn't just for a select few. This is for anyone who believes Anyone who chooses Jesus. Anyone who chooses to enter through the gate. Again, it's an open invitation to anyone regardless of their past, regardless of their failures, regardless of their shortcomings. But I believe it's important to note that this promise requires action on our part. It's not just applied to everyone just because they were born. It requires action on our part. We must make the conscious decision to enter through this gate that is Jesus Christ. And that means you got to die to yourself, right? Dying to yourself means, Jesus, I'm done living for myself. I want to start living for you. And what happens every time there's a death? We have a burial, don't we? That's what baptism's all about. You die to yourself. You're buried in a watery grave. You're raised to new life in Him. And that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And then He says, I'll fill you with with my Holy Spirit and you're going to be able to face whatever challenges you have next. Everything's not going to be just wonderful, but whatever comes your way, you got this. And he offers us the chance to share in his victory. Just like he arose from the grave three days later, we have the opportunity to be raised to new life here. And then when we pass from this life, the opportunity to be raised with him when he returns. I remember the night of November 2nd, 2016 very well. First thing that I remember was I was sitting on the front row at Alert Church 
listening to Kendall preach a sermon at revival services. And what was going through my mind at that particular time was, all right, Kendall, stop circling the airport and land the plane, please. Uh, <laughs> only because not the, ser- the sermon wasn't bad. The Cubs were in the World Series. So I just want you to know, just because I'm a preacher, that doesn't mean my thoughts are always in the right place during a church service, right? And so the Cubs are playing in the World Series. It's Game 7. They're playing against the Indians. Neither team had won a World Series in eons. And and I got an alert on my phone that Dexter Fowler led off the game with a home run. And I went, woo, like that. And Kendall thought I was giving him an amen. And it was a little bit awkward because I wasn't. And, and so the Cubs are up, I get home about the fourth inning, the Cubs are up six to three, and it looked like, hey, finally the Cubs are going to win a World Series, woohoo, you know, and then the unthinkable happened, and Rajay Davis hits a three-run homer off one of the best relief pitchers in the game, and I'm thinking, oh, no, we're going to lose again, we blew it, and then the famous rain delay, I don't know how many of you remember this story or not, um, then we came back out in the 10th, we put up two runs, and we hung on for dear life. And we won a World Series for the first time in 108 years. Anybody? Amen. Clap. Any, just me? I'm the only, Okay. All right. All right. That's good. There's not a lot of us Cub fans around uh, here. But, but here's what I kept saying. We did it. Woohoo! We did it. We did this. Last time I checked baseball reference, my name was not on the roster. But I kept saying, we did this. Even though I wasn't on the roster, even though I wasn't on the team, I felt like I was. We were in disbelief. I, I don't know. Did I go to sleep that night, Stacy? I don't even know if I did. If I did, it wasn't for very long. I was so wired, I could have run a marathon. I got to experience the joy of a celebration after 108 years of futility, of ups and downs and disappointments and and trials and and Bartman and black cats and all of that stuff. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look that up. All right, I'm not going to go into detail. But then finally we won. And it got me to thinking about that's kind of what our lives are like, only more serious, right? Our lives are up and down. And we experience all this junk. And we think, man, we're not winning. And I want to encourage you that there's going to come a day when we get to share in the victory of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And our name will be on the roster if we're in Jesus. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And our name will be on that roster. And we, get, we, we are actually on the team And we get to share in this incredible celebration that's not just going to last through the night or for a few weeks. It's going to last for all of eternity. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And so we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. 
And so we stay fixed on Jesus. Through every distraction in this life, keep your eyes on the gate. Keep your hearts focused on Him. He's the door to salvation. And He's not just one of many doors. If you truly believe in Him, you've got to believe what He said when He said, I'm the only door, I'm the only way. To know Jesus is to know His goodness, to know His sweetness, to know His peace. It's being able to say what King David did in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You might be sitting out there this morning and maybe it's been a long time since you've trusted Jesus with your life. As our worship team comes to lead us in a song of decision, um, if you're out there and it's and, and it was a long time ago and it was just a one-time decision and you've just kind of been like I was in my younger days, just kind of playing the game. Would you consider just really committing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you're sitting out there and you've never made that decision. Would you consider that this morning? Whatever your situation spiritually, would you just believe this? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus said this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Wouldn't it be nice to have rest for your soul? Jesus says he's the only way to get that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. and During this song of decision, we're going we're gonna to give you the opportunity to come down and Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you've just been struggling through some stuff and you want somebody to pray with you or maybe, maybe it is a first-time decision. You've never given your life to Christ. Maybe, maybe you want to publicly recommit your life to Him. Maybe you want to become a part of our church family. Whatever God might be asking of you, um, just be obedient. Maybe you just want to thank him during this time for what he's done. Let's pray together.